0: Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table, where we are going to share a conversation about entrepreneurship and what people do to sort of carve their own path in the world. If you listen regularly, you know we talk to small business people, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, business leaders, people who have hundreds of employees, and just sometimes people who work for a company, but they have that entrepreneurial spirit inside, and they just want to do more inside their job. You know, I define entrepreneurship as anybody who is out there really trying to make a difference and getting out. Of the cubicle. They're getting out of the box. And uh, that's what our guest today does. And I actually met her at the New Media Summit that I participated in in the fall. And she just stood out. She was one of these people who she's doing a lot of things. God, she has her irons in about 250,000 things that she's doing. No, she's got several businesses. She does several things. She's a mom. She's a wife. She does all kinds of stuff. But she's also just a really nice person who has just figured out what she wants to do in this world and how she wants to serve people. And so I thought, you know what? You're the perfect person, Murray White, to have on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on, Tom. This is awesome. I'm just honored to be
0: here. No, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. Let me tell you. So, I don't really read people's kind of long bios. I find them very (laughs) sterile. I'm a professional speaker. I tell a lot of speakers have bios that they make the introducer read. And I'm like, yeah, say whatever you want. You know, just don't call me Thumb, and I'm okay. You know, just, (laughs) you know, pronounce my name right and we're all good. So I like for you as a guest on the show to sort of fill people in on who you are and what you do. So who is Murray White?
1: Well, this is the part where I feel like saying, me, 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 I, 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 that's I, the, that's, me, me, me.
0: That is this time of, that's the time of the show. <laughs> that That is this that time.
1: Is the, that's the worst time. That is like the most on the spot. Make me feel under the gun. Um, you, but okay, you already well, know about
0: you. So tell us.
1: I do. I do. Okay. So I, I'm, an, I'm an author. I'm, I'm a writer. I have seven books out. And also an eighth book, which is a, a collaborative book. But I also have uh, a publishing company. And have really found this unique place to be in in the writing and publishing world because it's changing so much. Oh, God, yes. You know it. You yeah. absolutely know it.
0: Well, my first book came out 12 years ago, and, and I own part of the publishing company. We have a boutique publishing company. I own part of it. And people, when I first brought my book out, people would say things like, after I'd walk away at a cocktail party, they'd be like, well, you know, he self-published, as if I had just murdered nine people. <laughs> and, and nowadays, some of the biggest authors in the world are starting their own publishing company and publishing their own thing. So just that alone over the past 12 years has been a huge difference. The stigma of how you produce your book has, has changed greatly. So yeah, the world is a lot different.
1: It is. And, you know, you're following in great footsteps because Zig Ziglar did the same thing. No one believed in his work. And over the top, you know, he self-published it. And my goodness, did that thing take off?
0: Yeah, I think he sold what, four or five copies of that book?
1: (laughs) Um, Billion, maybe? Four or
0: five million. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Entrepreneurs are opportunists. So we are in a thousand places at once, and that's why it's hard to really focus on one thing because we see opportunities in other niches and other areas that we want to jump on right now in case that's the next big thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, so I tell everybody who's part of my potential mastermind project, the group coaching program I always run, I always tell people, that's great that you do a million things. Pick one. If you chase two pigs (laughs) or 10 pigs, it's hard to catch one. So you can do all those things, but but pick a main pig that you're trying to catch and, and grow.
1: Absolutely. And you have told me that many times. (laughs) You have definitely told me I need to be more focused and I do. I just need to find out what it is that I need to be focused on. And I think that's what we do as entrepreneurs. I think we really, we're looking to see where it is we can really make an impact or we really feel passionate about. And that's not always easy to come across and find.
0: So tell us a little bit about kind of what you're working on now that is exciting. I mean, obviously you do a lot of things. What's cool? What, What is the coolest thing you're working on right now?
1: The coolest thing I'm working on right now is that I really started focusing um, from just publishing in general to republishing people's books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a book overhaul service. I'm Ooh. the book overhauler.
0: Ooh, wait, 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 wait. That's awesome. Tell, say that again. I don't think anybody just heard that. My ears perked up.
1: I have a, a um, company where we republish people's books. This is an opportunity for people to get a book that hasn't done well, maybe doesn't look the way you want it to look, came out a long time ago, we're going to rebrand it, republish it, and give you an opportunity to become a bestseller.
0: Wow, Marie, that is the most awesome thing I have heard in ages because the reality (laughs) behind that, I can't tell you how many professional speakers I know who wrote a book maybe a long time ago or maybe six months ago, and they either went through a major publisher and, and it didn't do very well or maybe it did well but it's 10 years old and they've gotten the rights back to the book and they don't know what to do with it or maybe they self-published it but they really didn't know how to self-publish it so they got their aunt who was a children's artist to do the cover and it's a business book (laughs) and it just looks kind of blah and I mean I hear that question over and over is oh I wish I could I wish I could go back to the start I would have done this differently so what you're saying is you actually have a service for people who want to go back and do it over again
1: Absolutely. And I found those are people are a little more in tune with the publishing world. I work with a lot of first time authors, but authors who have already put something out there know what to expect. (laughs) And when we can go in there and make it just blow it out of the water. They are super happy.
0: Well, and it is true because even the published company that I own part of, we've done a lot of work for different people. And sometimes they think, oh, it didn't sell a billion copies. That must be my publisher's fault. (laughs) And it's like, wait, that's not what we said we were going to do when we started. People have a very short memory of of why they chose to publish the direction they did. And uh, after they've been through it, the second time around, they're probably more realistic.
1: They are and they realize how much you know they have to do and they know how to do it now at this point. They know just having the book out and having it on Amazon is not what's gonna make it sell. There are some things they have to do and I love to help people do that and learn what those things are if they just want to learn a couple of neat tricks and ways they can really promote their book.
0: So I love the concept of the book overhaul. I mean, it almost sounds, it almost sounds mechanical, right? I mean, if you were to be like the book makeover, I'd think it was like one of those shows where they redo people's hair and stuff like this. But an overhaul, it sounds like we've brought in like a like a 66 Mustang, and you're gonna give it new paint and a fresh engine job, and and you're gonna get the upholstery fixed. I mean, it sounds it sounds mechanical. This sounds powerful that we're doing an overhaul. Overhaul.
1: Absolutely, and that would be from my mechanical background because I was a mechanic in the Air Force.
0: Oh, real well! Thank you for serving. I think that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know that I knew that. That's very, very cool. How many years were you in the Air Force?
1: Just four, and then our oldest was born. Oh
0: well, yeah, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were in the Air Force, and then you became a mom. Yes. And uh, when did the entrepreneurial bug bite you?
1: Um, you know, I think I've always um been an entrepreneur of sorts. Even when my kids were little, I started a an um, online business. I want to say YouTube channel, but that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. I started an online <laughs> you, business. You
0: started one of those too, though, but yes. yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> an online business um, that sold designer children's jewelry. It was called Child on Board. And I was doing that when my kids were little, just on the side, a side hustle, just because I think you all entrepreneurs always have an entrepreneurial spirit
0: Mm -hmm. no and they're always looking for you know what what can I be doing next I was a stay-at-home dad for two years and at the same time I was a wedding photographer and my wife didn't work on weekends so I could photograph weddings on Saturdays and you know I ran that business like it was a multi-million dollar you know venture because I liked it I wanted to be involved I wanted my hands on a business even though I was just doing Saturday you know little photography stuff on the weekends it was still it was my thing so I get that.
1: Yes, and and we're a little <clears throat> obsessive, maybe a little OCD in that way, that when we have a great idea, we want to jump on it and spend 24-7 thinking of all the great ways that we can make it even better. And I think what we do is we do the thing that nobody else does. We're the ones who have that middle-of-the-night idea, that in-the-shower idea, that driving in-the-car idea. We write it down, and we're the ones who execute it. And that's what makes us successful.
0: So now that you've been doing this for years and, and you, you know, have created your own, your own path in the world, what do you love about the fact that, that you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're making your own way?
1: I love being able to encourage other people. Mm-hmm. I like being able to be good enough at something that someone wants to say, how do you do it? And I get to not only tell them how I did that particular thing, but also encourage them to step out on their own.
0: But are there ever days where it like drives you crazy? You want to bang your head against the wall and you think, wait, what if I had stayed in the Air Force? Someone would take care of all this for me. What?
1: No, my life is perfect. See, (laughs) you missed that completely. I don't have that up and down scale that we see with the entrepreneurial life. Uh, No, oh my gosh. Yes, all the time. In fact, even this week, I had to call a couple of people for a couple of things and I didn't want to do it and I, I put it off. I said, you know what? It's not pressing that I have to do it today. Today, I just feel like life's kind of beating me down. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. I'll probably wake up and not feel that same way.
0: <laughs> so if someone's listening and, and maybe they're in the military, they're about to transfer out or or maybe they're a mom and they need to, to start making some extra money or, or maybe just the entrepreneurial bug is inside them, no matter what they do. What advice do you have for people who, who want to start their own thing?
1: Well, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talked about the 10,000 hour rule. And that's that that in order to be proficient at something, if you want to be, you know, the head violinist or whatever, first chair, then the people they all had in common a 10,000 hours of perfect practice. Well, there is something in each of us that we have 10,000 hours in. I don't know what it is. Is it house cleaning for somebody? Is it, you know, um, managing a business? Is it sales? Whatever it is, you have 10,000 hours in something. If you will hone whatever that is, if you'll if you'll get down on on a piece of paper and start writing down what it is that you might just be really good at that comes easily to you, that might just be the thing to step out in and see if it works for you.
0: Well, and if people go back and listen to the episode immediately before the one you're on, I interviewed a gentleman named Jeff Sandifer, and he's been voted one of the top MBA instructors in the world, and now he's taken his talents to educating young children and getting them on the right track, and. He said sometimes people roll their eyes when they talk about children all being geniuses. And he says, go look up the definition of a genius. It's not that they have this brilliant, super high IQ. It's that, you know, they have put in the time and they have the the knowledge of a certain topic. I mean, a genius isn't a genius at everything, and they do have whatever it is that they're you know that they're passionate about and that they're willing to put in the time to learn. So I think that's really good. So so if somebody, you know, has something that they they know they're really good at. They've done it a million times in their previous jobs, how do they take that out into the entrepreneurial world though?
1: You know, everyone has different theories and I do hear people say, you know, "Oh, okay, I'm going to I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do this." And being my own personality type, I cringe. I'm a, I'm a side hustle kind of person. So I think you should try things on the side, on the weekend, in the evening, early in the morning, if you want to expand out into something new. Um, success is only sustainable if it's built on the right foundation. And so go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say, so that's, that, that's a good point. But how do you get that? How do you get that next step? If you have the foundation, how do you, how do you, how do you take the leap? Even if it's just a side hustle, how do you start it? I
1: think you just determine what it is you're going to do and decide you're going to stick with it little by little. I I really think you have to stick your toe in the water and go little by little. Um, You know, maybe you don't enjoy it. Maybe you start, you know, the pink penguin on the people's front lawn business because you think that would be something great to begin. And after a couple of months of doing that, you go, I don't want to do this. (laughs) Well, great. It's a side hustle. You can slowly phase it out and try something else.
0: Well, and and again, when you do find something that works and that you want to do, there's a lot to be said for longevity. I mean, I've seen it in my career that I've been speaking now for over a decade, almost nine years full time, but I did it for a while kind of on the side. I started the business as a side hustle and – you know, even with this podcast, I've been doing it now almost three and a half years and it's only recently gotten, you know, where it's sort of popped. It got written up in ink as one of, uh, on ink.com is one of the eight podcasts for entrepreneurs to listen to. The listenership is going up. More interesting people are calling me, uh, wanting to be on the show, like, you know, larger company CEOs are, are asking me how they get on the show and things like that. So, But it didn't happen in the first year and a lot of people would say, well, that didn't happen in the first year so I'm just gonna quit the podcast and, and you know, it's taken me three years to get to this foundation I've still got a long way to go. But sometimes longevity has a long piece of that, don't you think?
1: Oh, my gosh. I, I really you could not have hit anything on anything more important. I started a YouTube channel three years ago and I used to go to bed and, you know, hear, oh, my goodness. You know, I wake up in the morning. Oh, 10 people watch my video. <gasps> That's awesome. You know, the feeling, you know, as a podcaster, you're excited. You know, now half a million people watch it. Wow. And that only happened because I put out enough content And it sat there long enough, and it was interesting enough that people started watching it and word of mouth, and it got pushed and all kinds of stuff. I didn't tell anybody about it.
0: So what is the YouTube? What's the topic? What's your YouTube channel?
1: Uh, It's called Bible Stories for Adults, and it's uh, taking new adult believers through the Bible stories, 110 videos, and two- to four-minute snippets.
0: See, and that's awesome because essentially there's a niche. There's a lot of adults who never had that education yeah, growing up. Maybe maybe they didn't grow up with religion in their family. Maybe they grew up Catholic like I did, and we don't actually ever read the Bible when you're Catholic. You <laughs> just go to church, you listen to the priest, you recite a few prayers, you get a cookie, and you know that's about <laughs> it. We, I, I was in a men's group at my church, and uh, it was involved a Bible study, and it was so interesting because the gentlemen in the group who were married to Catholics, who were not actually raised Catholic, knew all of the stuff about the Bible, and the rest of us were like, how do you know that? And they're like, learned it as a kid, and we're like, Oh, all right. So, so there is a whole, you know, a whole sloth of society who become interested in that, who don't have that. So that brings up an interesting thing. How does someone find a niche? I mean, who would have woken up and said, I know what I'm going to do besides you, of course, (laughs) who would wake up and say, I'm only going to cater to the grownups who don't yet know the Bible study. This isn't for all 8 billion people on the planet. These are for the ones who are new believers who want to learn. How'd you come up with that niche?
1: Uh, You know, that is hilarious because it's so true. And that's why I'm thinking, I think it's unbelievable that that many people have watched it and it's gotten so popular. I'm thinking this is the most uncool, unsexy YouTube channel ever.
0: Especially in our secular society. Ah, she's talking about the Bible, run. Right, exactly. But if you think about it, the, the, the natural thing for people to do is go the opposite way. I want to do something for all human beings who breathe air. And it's like right. it doesn't go anywhere, but you created this niche for just people who are new believers who want to learn that, and yet millions of people are watching your channel.
1: Isn't that crazy? And I think that's that's a big thing um, as far as you do need to find your specific niche and really stick to that. When you try to go too wide, you lose people. And you, know, it, you write a book for everybody. It's for nobody.
0: So I ask people who come on the show about this gap that I talk about between potential, because I think we all have potential. Clearly... Your YouTube channel had potential, but a lot of people start a YouTube channel and don't get a million viewers, and mm-hmm. the results that people get. So what did you do using – let's use that as an example. What did you do to get across that gap from, oh, I have this great idea to million people listen to my Bible story shows?
1: Oh, see, this is a secret I can't tell because then everyone <laughs> will
0: <laughs> know it. Tell it. Tell it. Come on. Just
1: tell. Okay. The the secret is you execute, you do it.
0: Oh, you don't just think it, wish, <laughs> hope, and dream?
1: It's ironic that that doesn't happen. All of us have those ideas, those million-dollar ideas. We all have them. Everyone has them. The problem is nobody does anything with them. Those very few who do end up being the ones who become our Bill Gates and our, you know, whoever, Warren Buffetts.
0: That, so, that is so true, and that's so funny. Hey, I got more questions for you. I'm not going to let you go quite yet. But first... <laughs> I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Hey, Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that technical work that who wants to do the editing and the technical work? Nobody. They do it for you, and you can focus on creating great content growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Marie White. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Marie, I want to go back. I always ask people at this point of the show, what's something cool that they're doing now? And we started talking about the book, the book overhaul I think that's the coolest thing you're doing. So I want to ask a few more questions about that. So if somebody, if that resonated with somebody who listened to the show, they're thinking, I wrote this book five years ago. It didn't go anywhere. What are some of the things they need to do besides hiring Marie? What are some of the things they need to do in an overhaul? Like I know if I'm overhauling the car, we got to do the paint. We got to do the upholstery. the, uh, uh, The headlights need to be replaced. How do we overhaul a book?
1: Well, and you're absolutely right because that's something that, you know, is part of the discussion when we first, you know, talk on the phone and go over someone's project. The question is, what is happening in that realm, in that genre, in the book world? So, I'm going to have you go onto Amazon. I'm going have you look at who are the top selling, let's say it's a business leadership book. I'm going to have you look in that category, see what their covers look like, see, you know, what is it that those first top 10 people are doing? They're doing something right. And yes, of course, it's, you know, it's Bill Gates. It's, you know, whoever it is. You're not going to compete with that. But you can look at the top 10 and kind of get an idea. Are they all of their covers in blue and yellow? Do they all have a pen on the front? Do they all have an arrow? Like, what kind of things do you see that everyone's doing? What is trending right now?
0: Do they not have your aunt's artwork on them?
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Or, or misspelling.
0: Oh, so one of my friends wrote a children's book, and his first name is Randy. And on the front of the book, his name is right. But on the spine, it says Rancy, (laughs) R-A-N-C-Y. Nobody nobody caught the typo on his name.
1: Oh, my goodness. He would
0: probably he would probably want that to be fixed in an overhaul.
1: Yes, I would think so. I would think so. And well, it's funny, too, because you really when you enter the book world and you know this, you're coming in blind. You don't really know. That's not your business. I mean, your, your business is, oh, I wrote this book. And I want to get it out there. You don't think you're going to have to learn publishing or what the industry is like. Those are things you end up learning as you go.
0: Sure. Absolutely. So if somebody comes to you, you make them do that, then what's the next steps?
1: Um, then we talk about what it is you want with your book, because everybody has a different goal. If you're going to sell at the back of the of the room when you're doing speeches, that's going to be a different book than one that, say, you want to have, you know, hit the top of the charts on Amazon because you're trying to make, you know, the New York Times bestseller list.
0: And that is so important. And people don't think that from the outside looking in, they think a book is a book is a book. And the company that I own part of New Year Publishing, one of the things we do is we help CEOs write books that they don't intend to sell. They want to give them away. They want their salespeople to bring them in and use them as a a credibility tool in the industry that their CEO has written this. But when they do that, it has to be awesome. And a lot of them think, oh, I can just write a book. Nobody's going to read it. And it's like, no, nah, nah, nah. you know, maybe you need a ghostwriter. Maybe you need someone to help you. Because if you really want the credibility that comes with a book, and you're going to print 20,000 of them to give to all your potential customers, you know, you need to know what that book how it needs to lead people through. And at the same time, If you're writing a book that you want to sell through traditional channels, maybe it's got sort of a different thing. And if you're writing a book you're going to sell back of the room, maybe it needs to look differently. And that's something people do not take into effect is what book am I trying to write and how am I planning to distribute it? And none of those are bad answers. Sometimes people are like, well, all of them. That's not even a bad answer. It just is a different project.
1: It is. You're right. And even you know how your cover looks on the back. You know, one of my books, I have um, five experts that I interviewed for part of it, and I have their pictures on the back. Not only did that allow it to be used in counseling centers where it gives it more credibility, but also it allowed the five of them to then promote the book.
0: Right. No, that's, that, that's awesome. So if people are ringing with this, I'm going to ask you right now, how do they find you? Don't, they don't have to wait till the end of the podcast. How do they find you?
1: Well, they find me at bookoverhaul.com.
0: Awesome. That is fantastic. Bookoverhaul.com. Trust me, I've written 12 books. If you've written a book and you're saying, oh, I should have done this a different way, call. Have a conversation. Go to bookoverhaul.com. Find out more. So, Maria, I love it when people come on this show and I get to find out who they think is cool. Obviously, I think you're cool because I invited you on the show. But when you look out into the world, who do you say he or she? They're doing cool things.
1: Well, Tom Singer, of course. Uh, Have you heard love of him? It.
0: I love it when people pander to the host of the show. <laughs> that is my favorite answer.
1: Oh, that is awesome. But
0: give me another answer.
1: Another one. Okay. If I had to do a second one, oh, that's a tough question. There's so many amazing people. Does Big it have what? to be somebody alive or can they be maybe no, dead? Just
0: somebody you would, well, dead people aren't doing cool things. So I am going, <laughs> they're doing dead things. So yeah, somebody alive. And it's, <laughs> sometimes people say Elon Musk. Sometimes they talk about their dry cleaner. It could be anybody in between. Mm.
1: You know, I, I would have to say, uh, I know Warren Buffett and I think he is just an incredible guy. Not, you know, I, he and I don't always agree on everything, hmm. but we agree on the way you manage money and it doesn't matter that I don't have any and he does if we still agree <laughs> on the, the basic things.
0: <laughs> yeah. And if I was going to listen to anybody about how to manage money, I'd listen to Warren.
1: Yeah, might as well. <laughs> well.
0: and you mentioned that, you know him, that's another interesting little thing that makes you cool. You've met and have had conversations and keep in touch with a lot of famous people in a lot of different ways. How, how do you meet these people?
1: Um, I'm kind of a, a collector of people, I guess. I, I just I enjoy That's peop-
0: better. That's better than saying I'm a stalker.
1: <laughs> it is. It's a much kinder way than saying I'm a stalker. Um all my restraining orders don't mean
0: anything.
1: <laughs> no, just sometimes you know you'll watch a show or or see somebody or something and something just resonates and just clicks with you. And then you just reach out and see maybe there's a connection there Yeah, and and really I don't want anything from anybody. So I'm not there to sell them anything or ask for anything. I just think we have something in common.
0: You know, and I got into the speaking industry years ago, partially because of a gentleman named Harvey McKay, who used to be one of the top, uh, he still is, actually, one of the top speakers in the country. I think he still speaks like 50 times a year, even though he's in his 80s. But 20 years ago, he had the number one best-selling business books every couple of years. He spoke everywhere. And I just wrote him a letter one time. He he wrote a book called Shark Proof. And I was working in a bad situation in my career. Everybody around me you know, seemed bad and unethical and all this stuff. And it was as if the book was written directly for me. And I wrote him a letter. And he wrote me back. This is before the internet. He wrote me back. And he said – I didn't even know the book was on the shelves yet. Like I think my bookstore had released (laughs) it like three or four days early and I read it overnight and wrote him right away and he gets the thing before the release and he's like, how did you read this book? And then he gave me some career advice. And then later he was coming through Austin and I heard about it. So I called his office and I got to pick him up at the airport and drive him around that day. Oh my
1: god! Yeah. And,
0: and you know, I haven't done this with a lot of people, but, you know, I think if you reach out to people, some of them are like, yeah, hey, whatever. And I'd kept in touch with him and then I became a speaker and he gave me some advice. And then several years went by, six or seven years and the National Speakers Association came to me and they were coming to every month to sort of an up and coming established newcomer in the business. And they said, "Will you write an article this year for our magazine about the person who inspired you before you were a speaker and I picked Harvey McKay and they said oh that's great we haven't written about him in a few years and he's still an active member of the National Speakers Association so I got to meet with him at the National Convention and he told me only 30 minutes I'm too busy that's all I can give you and we went to the coffee shop of the hotel and he spent 90 minutes with me and then when the interview came out he had you know he had his people reach out to me the day the interview came out and said how much he loved the article and you know, I didn't need or want anything from him. He didn't have to do that. But sometimes when you reach out to people, you just click with them.
1: Yes. And if you don't click with them, don't force it.
0: Right. Well, yeah, you can't anyway. They have, they have handlers. <laughs> they have people that have people. That that That's <laughs> right. I, I won't say who, but I, I spoke at a conference where there was a big celebrity and from the political world. And uh, they told the audience, no pictures. They told those of us who were in the back, you know, put all your cameras and, and phones away and stuff like that. And his handler pretty much if anyone got near him, she went and intercepted him. And I thought, oh, maybe that's too much. I'd rather that they uh, had a little more interaction with the audience and with the other people who were on the stage, but you know, it's to each their own. It
1: is. You're right. And we're seeing more and more of that, especially as now that we have cell phones, people want to get selfies with everybody and people are cutting it off. They're just saying, no, I won't do it. And it, it feels isolating.
0: Yeah. And I ran into Brandon. In i mean, like, I, like I knew him. Hey, Drew, I ran into Drew Brees <laughs> in the airport, and. He was a football player before he went to college. He was a football player at one of the high schools in Austin, Texas. So we knew who Drew Brees was before he was famous. And everybody was lining up going, "Can I have a selfie? Can I have a selfie?" And I happened to be walking right past him and and I literally said, "I normally don't do this, but I'm from Austin." He goes, "Well, if you're from Austin, you have to have a selfie." And he was really cool. I mean, it was like, you know, and and then we were walking, both of us walked over towards the bathroom and he said, "You know, this is I have to do. This is part of my job because I don't understand the celebrities who don't do it." And I was like, well, that's, that's awfully, you know, super nice of him. But some of them have gone the opposite direction. It's like all real people stay away. Buy my album, but stay away.
1: Yeah, so. absolutely.
0: Hey, my last question I ask everybody is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think that, I really think that entrepreneurs need to do more than make money. I, I think we have an obligation to, to serve others. So, so what do you do?
1: Um, I do a number of things. I uh, work with the homeless. And also, um, I do missionary work, and I I talk with people all over the globe who are new believers or want to become believers, and um, I disciple them. I teach them how to be a believer in their day-to-day lives, and that can take up a lot of time when you're busy running a business and (laughs) doing parenting and all those other things, but it's it's wonderful to speak into people's lives with with hope and joy.
0: That's awesome. Hey, Marie, thank you so much for being a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to find you?
1: They can actually get a hold of me on my website at Marie White, spell like the color, author.com. That's MarieWhiteAuthor.com. And your listeners can actually get a free copy of one of my best-selling books, Changing Your Life in Just 10 Days, when they go on the website.
0: That's great. That means in less than two weeks, their life has changed. That's right. There you go. Well, Jump.
1: they'll learn the things to
0: change their life. <laughs> <laughs> they have what we said earlier. They actually have to do them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for being on the show. And I say it every week. Thanks for listening, because if it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. You can follow us on Twitter, at Cool Podcast. You can find me on Facebook, either me, or you can go to uh, Tom Singer Speaker, I think, is my Facebook page for for that stuff. Also, there is a Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do Facebook page. And if you're really interested, you can join the Potential Mastermind Project by going to PotentialMastermind.com. You'll find out all the information you would ever need right there. We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Marie. But in the meantime, I challenge you, go out there right now and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at tom.singer.